Fact Church, we give God praise for his grace, for his mercy, for his compassion, his kindness that he extends to us. And there is no God like our God, and he is so worthy to be praised. Hey, I want to welcome all of you into the sanctuary this morning. Thank you so much for being here. We're delighted to see you. And I want to welcome everybody who's viewing us also from live stream. We're glad to have you worship with us this morning. We know that this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. And we thank God for the privilege and the opportunity. Um, before we dive into the text this morning, uh, a few things I just want to remind everybody. Please don't forget, don't forget, on Tuesday nights we have our prayer at 6 in person. You're welcome to come. Then Bible study at 7. We also have our nightly prayer line every day at 6.55, except on Tuesday we pray at 6.45, but every day, 6.55, we pray from 6.55 to about 7.13. Actually, we start praying about 7.05, actually, but we would love for you to be a part of it. Tell anybody they can call in and be a part of our prayer line. Past, this past Tuesday, we had a night of worship instead of our regular scheduled Bible study, and our praise and worship team band, everybody did a wonderful job, and I just thank them for leading us in a praise and worship. Uh, we had an opportunity just to worship God and give him glory, and it's always a delight to do that. And so I just want to thank them publicly for uh, just uh, their using their gifts for God. And we uh, uh, just had a delightful time, a delightful time, and we thank God for that. Also, I want to thank everybody who came out and received a free COVID test yesterday. Uh, last Sunday, we also had uh, the... Um, flu shots. And so I'm glad everybody was able to participate with that. And so we always are always seeking to make sure we're serving and being uh, the arms and the hands, the feet of, the, of Christ. And so that's part of how we've been able to serve. We just thank God for and we give God the glory. Hey, today we're going to be in John chapter 15. We are culminating with the ego I me's, the I am statement, the seven I am statements out of John, John chapter 15. So I know you have your Bibles. I want you to turn with me to John chapter 15. Uh, that's our text for this morning, um, and we are going to be in there. And Impact, you know how we do it every Sunday. I ask you to please text, tweet, or post something from the service. Uh, text, tweet, or post something from the service and let people know, hey, I worship at Impact Church, 5401 Shadow Man Place, and we want you to text, tweet, or post something from the service. Share with somebody uh, something that you saw that's going to be a fact, Impact fact, there's going to be Bible verses, but we want you to share with people something from the service. We think it is so vital and important. It's part of our witness as the people of God. And don't forget, we have the challenge going. Today is day seven of the 21-day challenge. And I'm asking everybody, we want you to ask three people in your family, three people who work with you, and three people who go to church with you. Is Jesus Christ really the only way to God? Is Jesus Christ really the only way to God? Coming out of John chapter 14, verse 6. Where he declares, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so I want you to ask at least three people in each one of those categories. Nine people. You can ask more. We're going to give you 21 days. Sounds good? John chapter 15 is our text this morning. Would you please stand with me? Uh, this is the seventh of the I am statements of John. And the title is, Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And when we get here in John 15, we see Jesus says that he is divine. He said he is divine. So I'm going to read a few verses out of John 15. And also, if you're watching via live stream, I want you to stand with us and be a part of this as well. I am the true vine, John 15, 1, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that bears fruit. He prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I spoke to you. Abide in me. And I and you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. John 15, 5, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You may be seated. Lord God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your mercy, your grace, your compassion that you extend to us. And oh God, we thank you for Jesus Christ who is our vine. Lord, as we are looking into your word this morning, I just ask, Lord God, that you remove anything that would seek to hinder us from hearing from you. Lord, we want to receive your word. We want to hear it. 
And Lord, we want to be truly changed and transformed by the renewing of our minds through Christ Jesus. So speak, Lord, as only you can. And for whatever you do, we'll be certain to give you praise, the glory and honor. We love you. And we ask it all in the mighty, majestic name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. We begin this series by looking at who is Jesus Christ. And we begin in John chapter 6. And in John chapter 6, we saw that Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He tells us in 635 that he is the bread denoting his ability to provide physical as well as spiritual food for us, the believers. He goes from there in 812. He tells us that he is the light of the world. He is the one who illuminates men, women, boys, girls. When we come into the world, he is the revelatory light that shines into our experience and reveals himself, but also reveals the means for salvation. And he also shines the light on the paths of our lives to show us how to live. But then you go to John chapter 10 and he says, I am the door. Jesus says, I am the access. I am the one that you have to go through in order to get to the father. He said, but I'm also a securing door. I secure you and keep you safe once you enter in through me. And from being the door, he says, I'm also the good shepherd. I love Jesus as my good shepherd because he's the one who guides me. He shepherds me to the still waters. He leads me to the green pastures. He's the one that make me lie down and receive sweet rest. He's my shepherd. But then we saw in John eleven twenty five, Jesus says that I am the resurrection. I love the resurrection because resurrection says that though there may be a death, there may be dying. There may be a time where there has to be some debasing. There's a day where that which was dead, that which was buried is going to come back to life. The Lord has a way of imparting new life and restoring. And I'm not just talking eschatological in a future date. I'm talking about even in time. Our God is able to restore dead relationships, dead friendships. He's able to just restore and resurrect dead situations and bring them back to life again. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection. And last week, he made it abundant and clear that he says, I am the way. We saw the article there. He was definitive denoting that he was the only means and access to the Father. Jesus makes a claim that no other has ever made. He's the sufficient, sinless Savior who grants us access to the Father. And he says, there is no other way to the Father but by me. And today we come to John 15, and Jesus declared definitively, he says, I am the vine. Seven statements that are made in the Gospel of John. Jesus is letting us know who he is. Unambiguously, he defined who he is and explains it to us. And then the question becomes, what do we do with this Jesus Christ based upon his claims of who he is? I love John 15, 1, because when he comes here and Jesus says that I am the vine, he says this in such a dogmatic and definitive way. And he can say this because he's already told us that he is the way, the truth, and the light. You have to understand, he makes this claim because we live in a world that wants to have an eclectic approach to life. We live in a world that is very inclusive, whereby it is saying that every faith, every position, every belief is equal. No one faith can claim to be superior or have the only way. And the world wants to put forth an inclusive message that all paths will lead to God. The universalist pluralistic idea that 
everyone will be saved in the end. And we all know, according to the word of God, that's inconsistent. The word of God is very exclusive because Jesus says, I am the way. And then he says, there is no other but me. And he comes to John 15 and he steps up and he says, but I'm also the vine. You have to see Jesus' statement about being the vine in the backdrop of the Old Testament. Because when he says he is divine, point number one is Jesus is divine that empowers and strengthens. But it is with the backdrop of the Old Testament that you have to see this statement. If you look in Psalms 80, and I want you to turn there with me. In Psalms 80, Jesus is not speaking here, but the psalmist is writing. And in Psalms 80, he's going to let us know that the nation of Israel is the vine. The nation of Israel is that vine that God has redeemed and he has brought. And he's going to plant them in a context. Watch this Psalms 80 verse 8. It says, you removed a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground before it and it took deep root and filled the land. The psalmist is noting how God took Israel who was in bondage to the Egyptian under the tyranny of slavery and God took them out and he planted them in the land of Canaan after 40 years of their sojourning in the wilderness wanderings. He took them out in 1446 B.C., took them to the Mount Sinai, set them there for a year to 1445, and then he takes them on a journey to make them a nation, and that journey was the sanctifying work of the Lord. When he took them out of Egypt, he first baptized them in the Red Sea. He, he gives them the law at Mount Sinai, then he sanctifies them in the wilderness and prepared them for the land of Canaan. Israel is the vine. It is the vine that God had planted in Canaan. And then God says, I planted you there. He said, but I need you to produce fruit while you are in the land of Canaan. Stay with me now. Stay with me. Don't miss this. The nation of Israel is considered the vine. But the problem is they are a vine that did not produce the fruit that God desired. Isaiah picks up on that imagery in Isaiah chapter 5 and he explains it to us. And I want you to turn there with me because you got to see this. Eighth century prophet Isaiah, he's writing and he picks up and he makes like a parable about Israel. He's going to talk about the nation of Israel and he's going to describe them as the vine that has been planted by God the Father. God selects this vineyard and then he plants the vine Israel. And so he used the imagery metaphorically to describe the nation as a vine planted in a vineyard. Got to see this. He is trying to demonstrate how he cared, provided protected and loved Israel like a vineyard and then he was expecting something from them but he didn't get it. Watch this, watch. First of all in Isaiah we're going to get him saying the location of this vineyard. Verse 1, Isaiah 5, he says, let me sing now for my well-beloved a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved have a vineyard on a fertile hill. Three things I want you to see. First of all, the location of the vineyard. It is located in a, on a fertile hill. All right, that's number one here. So we see that God didn't just put the nation anywhere. He put them in a context where they could thrive. They are without an excuse for producing fruit. He says, you are in fertile soil and we all know that if you plant anything, you want to make certain that you plant it in fertile soil. I was trying to get my grass to grow in my yard, and it just seemed like it just did not want to grow. 
Maybe you don't have that problem here, but I just, this is the worst yard I have had. I've just, me and this yard has been doing battle back and forth. I've resodded my grass at least, tw- at least three times. Money helped me one time. He, you know, he can aid me into that. <laughs> and anybody know laying sod is not that much fun. But, but I had to test my soil to determine what nutrients were lacking in the soil that was prohibiting my grass to grow and to be nourished at the level that it should. And so you take a sample from the soil, you can send it to A&M, they can test it for you and say this is what's lacking and you need to put in your soil so your grass will grow and be vibrant. God here already knew the contents of the soil where he was planting his vine. He knew that it was fertile soil, so it wasn't an issue of the soil. He didn't have to get a test. He said, trust me, I created the soil. I I spoke it into existence. So I know the soil is appropriate. He said, but the problem is not the soil, it's the people I placed in the soil. Here it is. Look what else he does. It's the location of the vine, but also you got to see the cultivation of the vine. This is where you got to see the goodness of our God. Stay with me, I'm going to show it to you. Watch this, watch this. If you look in the text, it tells you six things God does for the vine to ensure that it bring forth fruit. First of all, it says he built a hedge around the vine, the vineyard itself. The hedge was the protection you got to understand, and if you haven't been in a gregarian situation, hadn't formed, been grown anything, you don't quite appreciate this. But for those of us who have, you have to put a fence, a hedge around it to make certain animals just don't come in. People don't just walk because they will destroy the vine. They will damage the vine. And so God put a hedge around it to protect his vine. The next thing is he removed the stones out of the soil. Stones will prevent the seeds from growing properly. They are a hindrance. He took away all the stumbling blocks that would prevent the vine from growing and being productive and being fruitful. And then he planted the vines in that vineyard. Verse 2, verse 2 in Isaiah 5, and then it says he built a tower in the middle of it. Why does God build a tower in the middle of the vineyard, in the midst of his vines? Because he wanted his watchful eye to be there, his presence to protect his vines from thieves, from animals, from people who would just come in and try to maybe sow thorns and tears in the context of his vine. He want to watch over and ensure the protection of his vineyard. And then, look at 5.2. It said he put a wine press in the midst of his vineyard. Why does he put the wine press? He puts the wine press because he figured if I planted vines, I've cultivated them, cared for them, and protected them, certainly I'm going to get grapes and I need a wine press so I can get the wine from the grapes. I'm expecting fruit from the vines that I have planted. Yeah. Some of you may be saying, okay, Roshi, I hear you talking about the vines. I hear you talking about the hedge the removal of the stones, the tower, how does that apply to me? The way that applies to me is this. You are the vine that God has planted in the 21st century in the United States of America. God has planted you. He's put a hedge around you. He's removed the stumbling blocks, the obstacle, the stones. God has built a tower, his own presence, his Holy Spirit that indwells you. And God is saying, I'm waiting now to see if I'm going to get any fruit from you as an individual vine. Watch this, watch this. 
This is Israel. Isaiah is prophesying, talking about them. He says, this is what God did for the nation of Israel. And what did God do after he had done all of this? He said, I waited expectantly. He said, but I only got worthless grapes. Look in the text. Look in your text. Chapter 5, verse 2. Look in your Bible. Look in your Bible. Look, look, look. It says, then he expected it to produce good grapes, but it produced only worthless ones. You and I might not quite understand all that happened here. God did everything humanly possible for them to produce the fruit, but they did not produce it. All the care, concern that he provided, and they still refused to produce the fruit. See, the fruit production by the vine was a decision of the will. You and I have to make a decision if we're going to produce the fruit that God expects. It's a decision of the will. It's a choice. But nevertheless, God says, I have done my part. He said, I'm waiting on you to do your producing. He said, I did all this for him. He said, but it only produced worthless grapes. 5-2. Look at 5-3. This is what God's going to do. He says, and now inhabitants of Jerusalem, men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done to it? God said, you had my very presence. He says, I was close there with you. He said, I was a part of it. He said, I put you on a fertile hill. He said, I put a hedge. I put a wall around you. He said, I removed all your stumbling blocks. He said, I did this for you. He said, why did you not produce fruit. So you have to remember, Israel came out of bondage. They were slaves. God liberated them and, and tried to liberate their mind with his law and then he takes them and put them in the promised land. He says, you have houses you did not build. Vineyards you did not plant. Systems you did not hew out. He said, you didn't have to work for this. He said, I just blessed you. He said, I gave my favor to you. He said, I showered it down upon you. He said, and what did you do with all the blessings you've been a recipient of? Impact. You watching me be a live stream? I got to ask you the question. God has been blessing you. If you walked in this sanctuary this morning, let me tell you something. God has blessed you. If you drove to Impact Church, God has been blessing you. If you're watching via live stream, God has been gracious to you. And if God has granted you grace, mercy, compassion, kindness, forgiveness, his love, his joy, God says, I expect you to be fruitful. Are you fruitful? Here it is. Look, look, watch, watch. Isaiah says this and then he comes down after asking these rhetorical questions. That's what he does here. Those are rhetorical questions. He said, out of the reservoir of blessings that you've been a recipient of, what did you do? And since I'm not receiving fruitfulness, he says, I tell you what I'm going to do, Israel. Look what he says. This is the condemnation of the vine. He said, first of all, I got worthless grapes. Five, two. Five, five, he says, I'm going to remove the hedge. He says, I'm going to break down the wall. He says, number four, I'm going to lay it waste, Isaiah 5, 6. Number five, he says, I'm not going to hoe or prune my vineyard. Number six, he says, I'm going to withhold the rain from my vineyard. Look, look, let me see if I can help you understand this. When God removes the hedge, that means he's tearing down the wall. He, that means you are open to anything 
that the world may want to bring in your presence. If you are a believer, you do not want God to remove the hedge or the wall from around you. You like, God, please don't take the wall or the hedge from around me. Let me tell you something. You don't want God to take it away because your blessings are open to being sipped by the enemy. And when Israel, he tells them, I'm taking away the hedge and the wall, he's saying, I'm removing my protective covering from you, and you are open to all sorts of catastrophic things, calamities, and carnage can happen. You never want God to remove his wall or hedge from around you. You want God to always be a hedge about you. He says, I'm going to lay it waste. It means he's going to let it be destroyed. And God says, I'm not going to hoe or prune my vineyard. Let me see if I can make you see this a little bit better. God in the Old Testament is the vine dresser. He's the vineyard owner. And for God to be hoeing and pruning, to use that analogy, it meant that God had to get close. Stay with me. See, if you have grapevines and you're growing grapes, they use these little snips and it is like a weekly event where they have to get up close to the grapes and to the, to the vine. And they clip away little things that will hinder the grapes from producing more grapes. It is symbolic of a very intimate and loving, caring moment where the father, the vine dresses, he gets close to the vine. He gets all up in the vine and he gets up in the vine and he does that intimate, delicate pruning and clipping and taking away. And see, we serve a God who is a loving, compassionate, gracious God, forgiving, merciful God, who loves us so much, though he's transcended, he condescends to us, and he gets close all up in our vine and clip away and cut away and take away those things that render us ineffective for his kingdom. And anybody in here, are you glad that God is a vine dresser that gets close up to you, intimate? Yeah, yeah. He gets in there to remove those things. And when God says, I'm going to step back, be impersonal. No, I'm like, God, I want you personal. I want you intimate with me. Because when you're close to me, that means I'm the recipient of your blessings, your presence, your power, your divine enablement. You want God pruning and being a hedge and a wall about you. He tells Israel, he says, I'm stepping back from you. He said, because you're not producing fruit. And for God to step away meant his blessings and presence go with him. Then he says, oh, this last one is really horrendous. It's a horrid scene. He says, I'm going to withhold my rain from my vine. Whew. Listen to me. Let me tell you something. You never want God to withhold the rain. Do you hear me this morning? Listen. The rain was always symbolic of the refreshing work of God. The life-giving work of God. The rain was symbolic of the blessings of God that he indiscriminately sowed upon the just as well as the unjust. I want God to rain it down, shower it down. Lord, let it fall down upon me. But here it is. He says, I'm withholding my rain. Why does God withhold the rain? He said, because I planted you, I provided, and I still don't see any fruit. Israel was the vine. They symbolically have always been considered the vine. That imagery goes with them. They are that vine. And then when you go to John 15, turn back to John 15, you see Jesus steps on the scene and Jesus says, Israel, Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, religious leaders, I want to let you know that you were truly a vine. He said, John 15, 1, I want to let you know I'm the true vine. 
He said, the vine before me, he said, they were pseudo vines, false, fake, imitation. He said, you didn't produce the fruit. He said, but the one that stands before you today, he is the true vine. He's the living vine. He's an empowering vine. He's a strengthening vine. He's a loving vine. He's a vibrant vine. I am the true vine. See, you got to see John 15 in light of the Old Testament context. That's why Jesus steps up and says, I'm the true vine, because he knew Israel had not functioned in their capacity as the vine like the true vine. They didn't produce fruit, and he steps on the scene. And he says, I am the true vine, and I'm going to show you how to produce the fruit. What is that fruit? The fruit of righteousness and obedience to the Father. John 15, he comes here and he lets us know that he is the vine that empowers and strengthens. I want you to see that. That's point number one. Point number one is so important because this is whom we are going to be attached to. See, you can't expect your life to be productive, to honor God. You can't expect your life to be fruit-bearing if you are not connected to the vine. So I want to pause and make this statement. If you are not a believer, this message doesn't apply to you because you're not connected. This message is for the believer, for those who have trusted in the atoning work of Jesus Christ for salvation. For the unregenerate, you who are unsaved, you have to first believe, have faith in Jesus Christ, and then you are a branch connected to the vine. Here it is. John 15, he comes here and Jesus is going to make this statement. He says, I'm the true vine. He said, but my father now is the vine dresser. He's the one who cultivates and ensures that all of the branches on the vine, they are producing the fruit necessary. Look at him. Verse one. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Don't miss this. You got to see when it comes to this whole thing that Christians reside in two categories. All right. This is fact number two. Fact number two. Check it out. Either you are a non fruit bearer or you are a fruit bearer. Two options. There's no middle ground. It's not like our cars that have neutral. You are either going in reverse or you're in drive going forward. There is no neutral. And he says, if you are going in reverse, not bearing fruit, the Lord will remove you. Look in your Bible, look in John 15, look in text. I want you to see this. He's talking to the believer. This is not an unbeliever. You can't apply this to an unbeliever. And the reason why, because an unbeliever would not be a branch. And that's why when the universalist says, we are all God's children, I'm like, incorrect. We become God's children when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. We are God's creation and creating the image and likeness, Salim Damut, Genesis 1, 26 through 28. But we only become a branch and a child when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. <laughs> Got to get it right. Here it is. And then when we become his child, there are expectations that come with it. I wish I could come on a Sunday morning and give you some easy believisms and just tell you that just be good boys and girls and be nice. Smile a lot and it's going to be what. But God has expectations. God demands a return on his investment in you. And if God sent his son, if God allowed his son to be beaten, to be bruised, Isaiah 53, to go to Calvary's cross, to die, and to be buried, and then to be raised, and then he says, I'm going to raise you. There was an expectation of the son, and there's an expectation of those who are in the son. Here it is. Look, 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 look. stay with me, stay with me. He says, you got to abide in me here if you're going to produce this fruit. But who's the one producing the fruit? He says, the believer. Look, 
If you're not producing fruit, the Lord will take you away. So what do you mean he take us away? There's several ways the Lord can take us away. One, he can put us in a state where we are no longer able to produce the fruit. Or God can give us a quick ticket to the morgue. And I know that is unsettling and I know people are starting to get uncomfortable and twitch in your seats. Stay with me. I got to give you the bad before I give you the good. Stay with me. But the reality is that God has expectations for us as believers. We just can't live anyway and expect God not to come and tap us on the shoulder and say, I'm looking for some fruit. God says, I put a hedge about you. I put a wall around you. He says, I planted you in good soil. He said, I prune you with my, my presence. He said, I rain down my waters upon you. He said, but I don't see any fruit. He said, I, I have expectations. And everybody in here could raise their hand and say, God has been good to me. And if God has been gracious and saved you, then God has expectations out of your life. He said, for those who are bearing fruit, position number two, he said, I got to prune you. I got to prune you. Let me explain something to you. Pruning is painful, but the pruning produced so much more fruit. Fact number one is so important. The pain of pruning is shared when you are connected to the vine. Roche, what are you saying? Let me see if I can explain it this way. If you notice that Jesus says he's the vine and the branches proceed from the vine. We, the Christian, are the branches. And so if the father has to do any pruning work to us, since we are connected to the vine, when the vine dresser comes to prune, to cut away and to trim, he is close to provide the healing that we need but we are connected to the vine to provide the strength to endure the pruning that the Father put us through. Anybody glad of that? Let me tell you something. When you go through adversity in life, and I'm going to tell you something, if you are a believer, if you are in sanctification, your life is required, there is a demand that you go through the pruning, and the pruning means there's going to be adversity. There will be days you don't understand. You might not see the next step. You don't know what God is doing. But as God is taking you through, notice I said through, you don't stay there. He's taking you through the adversity, the pruning. He's with you and he gives you the strength because you're connected to the vine to endure whatever pruning the Father takes you through. Why? Because it is the pruning that produces more fruit in your life. I know you, like me, probably watch some sports. And as you're looking at the sporting activities and you see teams play, we just get to watch the game once a week. Nobody ever think about how early does this player get up in the morning? What kind of diet does this player adhere to? What, what, what food do they eat? How often do they work out? What's their sleep pattern? What sacrifices are made for them to play one game once a week? How many years of preparation was required to get to this level? Nobody considers that. The only thing they consider is how productive are they when they step on the field for that one day. And the Christian life is very similar to an athlete. Paul picks up on that imagery, that metaphor in Timothy. You and I have to do the preparation behind the scenes 
to ensure that we produce the fruit when we get out in the public. It is the private that prepares us for the public, but you got to do the preparation in private so that when you step out in the public, you can produce the fruit that leads to holiness and righteousness. And it is oftentimes in that private pruning from the Father that he prepares us to produce the fruit of righteousness. And that's why here he says the father probes. See, the pruning process is always so intimate. God has to get close to you when he prunes you. He doesn't prune from afar. See, the snips have a short handle on them, so he's close. See how close he is to, to the grapes? See how close he is to the vines? He has to get all up in your vine. Anybody ever had God all up in your vine? He said, God all up, he's just getting it, and you're saying, God, it doesn't feel comfortable. It's it's inconvenience to me. It hurts. I'm enduring pain here. But God says, but oh, think about the fruit that's going to come from you once I finish this pruning. And there are many of you sitting here today watching via live stream. You're going through pruning right now. Some of you are going through prunings in your personal life. And you're going through pruning. God is stripping and taking away. He's removing. And it's things that you can't discuss with anyone but him. And there's sometimes you have to get in isolation and you cry out to him and you say, Lord, I I know, God, that you love me. You have proven your love for me. Lord, I know you are a faithful God. You have demonstrated your faithfulness. Lord, if you did it for Moses, if you did it for Noah, if you did it for Elijah, if you did it for Paul, if you did it for Peter, certainly you can do it. But God, as I'm going through, oh God, it hurts me. It pains me as I'm going through the pruning process. Lord, be merciful to me as I'm being pruned we're in a context right now where Christians let me tell you some Christians and lean in and listen don't miss this you're watching my live stream watch and listen we're in a context in our society in the United States of America day in this 21st century we are going through changes unprecedented our world is convoluted chaotic There's antagonism and there is anger, anxiety. Murder is up 31%. Spousal abuse is up. Drug, alcohol abuse. The abuse of our children. It is, everything is increasing. It is increasing because we are dealing with this thing called COVID and so much civil unrest. And this is the time for the Christian to stand up and be strong to be the light in a dark and perverse world and to show people what it means to endure the pruning of God and to stand up and let people know that God is still on the throne we have to endure it we demonstrate love at a time where the world is trying to push and promote hate We promote a unified front and we show them that we have been pruned by our holy God and we will bear fruit no matter what the situation or the context. We will stand and produce the fruit of holiness and righteousness that God has given us in Galatians chapter 5. He said the first fruit that I want to see produced in my believers is that of love. He said, we have to love people with the love of Jesus Christ because he first loved us. Then we have to come back with some joy. We have to demonstrate joy in the midst of a world that seems depressed, that seems down, that seems so desolate and in despair. But the believers stand up and say, though he slay me, though the barns don't have anything in it, I'm still going to rejoice and I'm going to stand and wait and see the salvation of my God. That is the believer. That is the Christian stance. We don't mourn like those who don't have a hope. Oh, I like this. I like this. Listen, stay with me. Stay with me. Because, see, he is showing us here in John 15. He says, I'm the vine. You see the branches. He's showing us that we will go through this pruning, but it's to produce fruit. 
And if you're a believer, I know you've been prone. You like me, you, we have to endure the pruning only because it produces fruit. I often say this whenever I'm dealing with this whole pruning and fruit thing. Remember that when you are producing fruit, the fruit is not for you. It's for the consumption of others. You never see a fruit tree turn around and eat its own fruit. Never see it. You and I produce fruit not for ourselves. It's always for somebody else. And the production of fruit is so unselfish. But nevertheless, that's what God has called us to as believers. Why? Because Jesus Christ unselfishly came, gave of himself so that we might have access to eternal life. You are with me this morning. Look, look I'm almost done. I'm going to give this last thing and then we're going to get out of here. Watch this. Jesus, after he says, I got to prune you, he comes down here in verse four and I want you to see this one. Because this is really the linchpin to the whole passage. This is the key to everything I'm saying. He says, abide. Can you underline that for me in your Bibles? Highlight it. John 15, verse 5. He says, abide. The Greek term he uses here is a meno, and it means to remain. And he lets us know he used the preposition in with the dative. And he lets us know that we have to remain in Jesus Christ. He is the means by which we are to produce this fruit. He commands us. It's an imperative he gives when he says abide. This is not a suggestion. He commands you abide in me as I in you because if you don't you cannot produce the fruit are you all with me this morning we have believers Christians who are attempting to produce fruit without abiding in the Lord and you cannot produce fruit unless you are abiding in the Lord let me see if I can make it real visible to you you can go to any furniture store and you can purchase a beautiful lamp. Very ornate. You can take it back to your home and put it in any corner on any table, desk you desire. You can place an LED bulb, traditional bulb in it, and you can sit it there and you can turn the switch and it can look beautiful. And you say, man, this looks great. It's a beautiful lamp, very ornate, has a bulb in it. And you can sit it there and you can enjoy its beauty. But the lamp will never reach its maximum potential until you take that cord, insert it in the wall, allow the currents to flow through it to magnify that light in that bulb and make it shine. Otherwise, you just have a nice ornate lamp sitting on a table, a desk, in a corner, but it will never reach its maximum potential. It will never give off the light and shine and produce the fruit that it was designed to produce. Why not, Roche? Because it's not connected to the current that caused it to shine. So many believers look nice, healthy, blessed and prosperous, but they are not giving the light. They are not reaching their maximum potential because they are not connected to the vine like they should be. They're not abiding. And therefore, they're not. Roche, how do I abide? I'm glad you asked me that question. Let me tell you how you abide. As a believer, you and I can never, and I mean never, we can never abide if we don't have a daily healthy dose of prayer and Bible study. You become malnutritioned as a believer and you never reach your maximum potential 
if you're not praying and studying the word of God. That's why Jesus says, he says, I am the bread of life that feeds you. The word of God is the bread that spiritually feeds you and nourishes you so you can be fulfilled to produce fruit so that you can abide. But if you're not praying to God and communicating and talking to God about what challenges you, what bothers you, what has you unsettled, let me tell you, you will not be able to abide and produce the fruit. As I look around this room and I see these beautiful kids and young children in here, I look at them and I think about the reason they are here and as rambunctious as they are is because they had to have someone to give them food and something to drink. If they don't have it, they will be malnutrition. When you take them to the pediatrician, the pediatrician wants to do what? Let's weigh them. Let's get the growth chart out. Let's see how they're growing. Because that is how they determine if you are truly allowing them to abide in the things that cause them to grow to be healthy and productive children. So they put them on the scale. They put them on a growth chart. And that is where they analyze and they can determine so much about that child without ever having to go in your home. They can make determinations about your child without ever going to your home by examining them and seeing the growth, the weight, the fruit of what happens at the home is manifest on the scales and on the chart. And let me tell you something. God does the same with us. The way you conduct yourself in public is a manifestation of how you've been conducting yourself in private. You cannot separate the two. And if you've been abiding in his word, it gives you patience with people. When you've been abiding in his word, it gives you love for people. When you have been abiding in his word, you can forgive people. But when you haven't been in the word, you haven't been praying to the Father. Oh, it reveals that you have not been abiding. Jesus tells us here, he says, I'm the vine. He said, you want to produce fruit? Abide in me. Impact. If you're going to produce fruit, you're going to have to remain connected to the vine. Jesus, who empowers and strengthens you to bring forth fruit. That's why he saved us. And I want to challenge you today that you have to abide not only by yourself, but collectively. That's why fact number three is so important. Abiding in the vine is a daily decision that requires individual and collective care. What do you mean, Roche? And I'm coming to a close. I'm about done. Here it is. First, abiding is an individual choice. It's a volitional element. You have to have a desire it's a decision of the will that you're going to abide. Every morning, I have to make a decision that I'm going to pray. I'm going to study the word. I want to spend some time with my God. That's individual. Next, I need a collective effort to help me remain there. The reason why I love the church is because the church is a place where I get so strengthened and encouraged. You got to hear me. If you are serious about trying to live for God, you can't do it in isolation by yourself. You need some help. And when I come to the ecclesia and we have a little koinonia fellowship, it strengthens me and encourages me. When I hear someone get up and begin to talk about how God blessed them on their job, God gave them favor, how God removed obstacles, how God gave them peace in the midst of a tense and volatile situation. How God restored, how God delivered, how God renewed and revived a situation that seemed dead. When I hear people begin to testify about the goodness of God, it strengthens me and it encourages me. And I say, if God can do it for them, God can certainly do it for me. And see, I need the collective voices. who believe, trust, who are pressing and being pruned just like me 
to encourage me to remain faithful to my God. It's individual, but you need the collective effort. I'm convinced that's one of the reasons why there's such an effort to try to close churches and to silence the voice of Christians. Because why? Because the enemy knows that it doesn't take but two or three of us together. And if we get on one accord and we start believing God by faith and we start praising him, we start giving him glory, magnifying his holy name. Let me tell you something. It gives people hope who are in a hopeless situation and they start believing God is, God can, God will, and we're going to believe and we're going to watch the salvation of the Lord. Here it is. It's individual and collective. That's what abiding is. And if you want to see your life change, you're going to have to abide. Don't get too comfortable watching church at home and live stream. Don't get too comfortable. Yeah. People say, what's COVID? Let me tell you something. I hear you. But don't allow the enemy to coddle you into a coma. You need the body of believers. You do. I do. The enemy wants to isolate you and it wants to sip you. As Jesus told Peter, like we don't allow him. He will make you believe you don't need the church. You don't need individual. We do. Because there's a synergism that's created when we come together and God's power is manifest like no other. So it's imperative that we abide individually as well as collectively if we're going to produce the fruit that God has called us to. Our impact fact for today is this. I want you to see it. Remain connected to Jesus, the vine, for power to remain fruitful and strength to endure the pruning. See, as you are going through pruning just like every other believer, you're going to need strength to endure. I'm not going to stand here and promise you every situation is going to change, but I'm going to tell you something. God will be with you through the situation. Paul had a thorn in the flesh and he kept going to the Lord, asking the Lord, he says, my strength is perfected in your weakness. And sometimes God placed us in situations. We're like, God, do you see me? He says, I see you. He says, but I am present with you as you are going through it to strengthen you to endure it. Then sometimes God just with a word, he'll speak to our situation and he'll deliver us in an instance. Either way God does it, he is still worthy to be praised. And if you believe that, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your grace, for your mercy, for your compassion and kindness. And Lord God, we ask that you help us to remember that Jesus Christ is the vine, the true vine, the vine that empowers and strengthens us. May we remain connected to the true vine so that we can bear much fruit. We don't want to be like the nation of Israel. Lord, keep your hedge around us, your wall. Keep removing the stones, Lord. Keep pruning, Lord. Keep showering over us your blessings. And Father, for what you do, we will praise you and give you the glory. We love you. And we ask it all in the mighty majestic name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Will you please stand to your feet? If you're here today, you say, Roshi, I don't know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. You want to get to know our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If that is you today, would you please step to the aisle and step to the back of the church? There are men and women who can help facilitate the process, can show you how you can come to know our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If that is you, just step to the back of the church. Second challenge, if you're here, you see, you know what? I'm a believer and I just want somebody to pray with me. I just, I just feel I just need prayer and I just want someone to pray to make intercession. If that is you, just step to the back of the church. There are men and women at the back who would love to pray with you. If you're watching this via live stream, you see, you know what? I want to trust Jesus Christ. I want to unite with Impact Church. Hey, follow the link at the bottom of the screen. Click it. Fill out the information. We will connect with you somewhere from our staff. We will follow up. We want to make certain we get you in a vibrant, healthy relationship with our Lord. So please follow that link. Is there one this morning? Is there one? Is there one? Is there one? Just step to the back of the church. Just step to the back. 
you step to the back. Thank you so much. Just step to the back. Let's give God praise. Let's thank God. Praise God. Our God is a good God, and he is so worthy to be praised. And we give him glory. We give him the honor because he has been so merciful to us. Let's close in prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you for your mercy, for your grace. We thank you for redemption in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we thank you that we can abide. Lord, I pray for every person who is here in the sanctuary watching via live stream. Help them to abide in you. Help them, Lord. Let them not be discouraged. Help them be encouraged and know, Father, you are with them. You are on their side. You are for them. And you are going to keep them as they walk through the seasons of life. Remind them that you love them. Lord God, for whatever you do, we'll be certain to give you the praise, the glory, and honor. We ask it all in the mighty majestic name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you for your presence. Have a blessed day in the Lord.